I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 129 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Hey there, listeners. Today on the podcast, I have a very special return guest, Jamie Sears, who is the founder of the wildly popular education website and brand, The Not So Wimpy Teacher. Now, Jamie has actually been on my podcast before. She was a guest way back on episode number 24, which feels like ages ago, where she talked all about how to get your reluctant writers excited about writing. And it was such a great episode, and I am super excited to bring Jamie back on the podcast, but today she isn't talking about writing. Jamie is celebrating the release of her brand new book, How to Love Teaching Again. And Jamie actually had the vision and idea for writing this book way back in 2019. And once the pandemic hit and dramatically changed and shifted the culture of education, she knew that she really had to get this book into the hands of teachers. Now, hearing the title of this book, I kind of had the idea that, you know, it would be a teacher self-help book on how to beat burnout. But after our conversation, I feel like this book is so much more than that. And what Jamie is really sharing and what she's created is a guide and a manual for how to thrive in the world of education. So even if you aren't interested in adding any more books to your teacher bookshelf at this time, I know that just listening to this episode, you're going to get so much out of it and you're going to feel encouraged. I can't wait for you to hear what Jamie has to say about how to love teaching again. So let's jump on into the conversation. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no-fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hi, Jamie. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. Thanks, Sarah. I'm really excited to get to chat with you. It's been a while. Absolutely. Yeah, you are on over a year ago, I think, to talk all about writing, which was such a fantastic episode that still is one of my listeners' favorite episodes. And so we'll definitely link to that as well. But we're not going to talk about writing today <laughs> because 
You have had such a big year, I feel like, in the not-so-wimpy teacher world. Do you kind of want to share with my audience a few of the big things that have been happening behind the scenes? Yeah. So, well, really behind the scenes, we welcomed our sixth baby in December, and that was a really long, challenging journey. And so we're super excited to be on the other side enjoying our rainbow baby. But also, in the midst of all that, I have written a book and published a book and kind of made this whole bucket list dream of mine come true. And so that's been what I have been focusing on literally for two and a half years behind the scenes, a long, long project. Which first of all, congratulations. I have never written a book, but I've had a few friends that have gone through the process and I have heard that it is like, it's a labor of love. I mean, it just the process that it goes through. And I feel like the last time that I saw you in like December of 2021, maybe, you were like just starting the process of writing the book. And so I know that this is something that you have been working on for such a long time. So I'm sure it has to be so exciting for you that it's like, it's done. It's ready to be in the hands of teachers and like starting to make an impact. Yeah, I actually came up with the idea of the book in 2019. And then it took a while to figure out how to write a book because I didn't know. I mean, other than just like opening up your computer and writing, I didn't know what else to do. So it took a while to figure that portion out. And so then it took another two and a half years after we formally started working on it. So getting it in the hands of teachers feels like such a massive undertaking. And we're just, we're celebrating now because I really had this dream of getting it in as many teachers' hands as possible. And we get to watch that happen. That's awesome. So your book is titled How to Love Teaching Again. Can you share a little bit about like why you chose this topic out of all the topics in education that you could have written about? Why this topic and why now? Like, why does this book need to be published right now? Yeah. So I came up with the book title and topic way back in 2019, and it was just on my heart. I always wanted to write a book. Since I was in grade school, I was the nerdy kid who sat on the wall during recess and wrote stories. I actually got a thesaurus from the library and I would like change every single word in my story with a cooler word. So you can imagine what that sounded like. Your writing teacher loved you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So I always wanted to write a book, but back then I thought I was going to write a fiction book. I didn't really know what it would be like to be an author, what that meant. And in 2019, I just, I had this heart calling. I had all of these teachers in my community who were always asking for help. They were sharing these heartbreaking stories of having to leave the classroom earlier than they wanted to, feeling like they had to choose between family and their job or their own health and their job. And I just felt like there were certain strategies and systems I put in place in the classroom that helped me. And I thought the least I could do is share what really worked for me. And I started to do that with my community, but I wanted to get it out into the hands of even more teachers, make it really accessible. I couldn't have anticipated how education would have changed with the pandemic, but we were in the midst of the project and I was like, we have to push the gas on this because teachers were, were struggling in 2019, but by 2021, it had been exasperated. So 600,000 less teachers in 2022 than in 2020. That's how many teachers were just leaving the classroom. Some of them were retiring, but some of them left long before they truly wanted to leave because they felt like they needed to leave yep. in order to like take back their life. And so I knew that that calling back in 2019, I just had to listen to it. And 
So we worked really hard with our community of teachers, talk about what they most needed and what they're most worried about and brought it to life in this book that I think it couldn't have come any later. Like we needed this in the hands now. Yeah. It's like, how cool is it that you had this idea back in 2019? But then also I feel like it's just obviously the timing of it, because like you said, it's like the pandemic and teaching since then, I feel like the the pain and the challenge and the struggles that teacher face has just been exacerbated in the last couple of years. And it does, it makes me so sad when I hear a teacher who's like, I, I am burnt out. I'm at the end of my rope. Like I've loved teaching, but I don't love teaching in today's current climate and I'm going yeah. to leave. Oh, you know, I have, it's been a couple of years since I have been in the classroom, but when I was in the classroom, like I loved it. I had the joy from teaching and just, you know, working with kids and that passion and excitement. And I feel like, you know, teachers become teachers because they want to experience that joy. And I think so many teachers for a variety of reasons don't get that same joy and that same experience that they wanted to, you know, when they first started. And so I'm excited that this book is hopefully going to help some teachers reconnect with that joy of teaching again. Absolutely. I feel like in my community, I noticed this huge difference where there was always a stress associated with teaching, but then the pandemic happened and now it's gotten more into anger. Yeah. And I'm hearing too many stories of people who dreamed of being a teacher their whole life, but now they're leaving to go wait tables, to to, to do bartending. There's someone who left to bartend. She says she works three nights a week now and makes more money than teaching. But I mean, her heart isn't in bartending. Her heart was in teaching, but you got to make the ends meet and put a roof over your head. And unfortunately, teachers are having to make decisions between the career that they wanted to do because of their heart and a career that's going to pay the bills and not cause them as much stress, anxiety, fear, even teachers are experiencing a lot of fear. So I, I know the title of your book is how to love teaching again, but I feel like that's kind of like a big, (laughs) it's like a big umbrella. So can you kind of give us like a little bit of like a sneak peek, almost like what are teachers going to learn and experience in this book? Kind of walk us through like, what are the big topics that you cover? Because I'm assuming there's a lot that goes into like how to love teaching again. Yeah, I had so much. I love how at the beginning of writing a book, it's like, I'm never going to have enough to write a book. And then the editors are like, you're going to have to cut out half of this because there's not enough room in a book. And I think that some people have read the book and said, this is what I wish I'd learned in college. Because we're not talking to teachers about how to take care of themselves in the classroom. So I think the big overarching theme in the book is beating burnout. It's implementing strategies and systems into your life, into your classroom that will help you to get your work done quicker at a high quality and go home so that you can have time with the people, the hobbies, the things that you love most. Most people are not happy in a job that becomes their entire life. Most people need to have that go-home experience where they don't have to stress about work. And so I was thinking as I wrote the book, what is something that I can teach them how to do that would save them time in the classroom? So that's a big part of the book. There's also a fantastic chapter in the book where I'm really trying to help them eliminate some of the chaos in the classroom because a lot of the teachers in my community said, you know, I just feel overstimulated when I get home. It takes so long to to decompress. And so I thought about the things that I did in my classroom to help me because I get overstimulated very easily. And so there's a great chapter in there that I tried to stuff 
I tried to stuff so much in there. The editors were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I, I just wanted to share with them the things that worked for me to make my day just a little less stressful, but still get to have those connections with students, still teach these standards at a high level that teachers aren't going to start doing halfway jobs. That's just not who they are. And so really the book is about how to get those really high priority items done faster. I love that. And I think that is the heart of why teachers, you know, I don't want to say they don't love teaching, but for teachers who are considering leaving, it's because they are sort of stuck in this cycle of burnout where they've got too many things on their to-do list. They're too overwhelmed by managing the day-to-day tasks in their classroom, as well as the demands of their principal and their district and testing and parents. And then of course, like life at home is stressful as well. And so it's like also on top of that, like managing all of that. And so I love that this book is really like focused on the systems and helping teachers like beat that cycle of burnout. I know that you're not currently in the classroom and you've been running your business full time. And I know that you said that like, obviously you've used some of the things that have worked for you, but I'm just curious if you can kind of even share a little bit about like, how did you go about writing this book? And even just like some of the research that you've done to make sure that what you're sharing with teachers in this book is still relevant in today's climate of education. Yeah, I love that question. It's a great one. So yes, I only shared things that I have done and that worked for me. When I first started teaching, I quickly got close to burnout. In my very first year, I nearly quit. And there was a point even where the principal said, if you need to quit, I'm going to let you out of your contract because she was very concerned about me. I had four kids and I just didn't feel like I was being a good teacher or being a good mom. And so I nearly quit. And I kind of had this moment of clarity when I realized that I wasn't leaning in to the things I am good at. I started teaching and instantly assumed, oh, I'm brand new. I don't know anything. But the reality is that as teachers, we all come to the profession with certain things that we are already good at from either previous jobs or from schooling or from our family or just things we were born to do. And one of the things I'm good at is simplifying things. And when I got thinking about that as a first year teacher, I'm like, I'm not simplifying things in my classroom. I've literally been making things more challenging. Every week I would go to Pinterest to look for all new activities for each week. I mean, that's making things complicated, not simple. And so when I started to think about how can I make things simple, I made big changes that allowed me to go home at my contracted time. I didn't have a good day every day. I I wasn't without stress at all. But I really did avoid burnout and fall in love with teaching. And so I'm only sharing those strategies that I know worked for me. And then I took these strategies and I started teaching them in my community via my blog, my Facebook group, my YouTube channel. And as they were working for other teachers, I kind of had this moment of clarity that not everybody knows how to do this. Sometimes when you're good at something, you actually assume everybody can do it. It's really common, actually, to assume this. You're like, that's so simple. Nobody would think that's helpful. And then you share it with someone and they're like, that's genius. And I I had a few moments like that. And I was like, wow, I, I should probably share this more because I feel like when I left the classroom, I wasn't ready to leave the classroom exactly. I had was really at my peak. I finally had fantastic systems. I was going home at a great time and I loved what I was doing, but my health wasn't good. I am epileptic and I had lots of seizures in the classroom and I felt like it was really hard on the students more so than me. It was, it's hard to have a seizure in front of kids, that kind of stress that you put on them. And I just really didn't feel like it was fair anymore. And I had to have a 
really good chat with my husband because I didn't want to leave, but I also didn't want to put them through this trauma, honestly. So when I left, I made a promise to myself, but also to my audience. I said, I'm not leaving education. I'm going to use this extra time I have at home now to make a big difference for you, to make an impact, to change the world of teaching, to make things easier for you. And so that's what I've been really dedicated to for the last several years. And I grew a huge Facebook group community. And as I was writing the book, I went to them constantly. I asked, I did polls. What do you need to know? What's what's hard? What's not working? How are you currently lesson planning? How much are you currently grading? What can I do to help? And I used their stories. I used their pleas for help as really the outline for my book so that it would be very relevant. And it would also be exactly what they wanted and needed, not just what I wanted to write about. I love that. I love that you're creating something that is based off of like teachers' current needs and getting their feedback and writing the process. And I love that you left the classroom when you did, because I know the impact that you've been having on teachers through your teacher business. And especially with the release of this book, I mean, if you were still in the classroom, like this would not actually come to be. So that was such a good decision for the world of education, as hard as it might've been for you. But I want to go back to, you know, when you said you created these systems and you figured out a way to simplify things, not every day was the best day, but overall you figured out a way to make it enjoyable and love teaching again. And I think that's such an important reminder for teachers because I feel like the conversation of burnout is been elevated. And I've, you know, I've had multiple guests on my podcast talk about burnout. I see it on teacher Instagram. You know, it's kind of like all over. And I think there's almost this like misconception that when a teacher beats burnout, that they'll be happy all of the time, right? It's like, okay, I'm burnt out. And the opposite of burnout is to be like happy all the time. Every day is going to be great. But the reality of it is, is like, even when you are putting systems in place and even when you've like figured things out, not every day is going to be a good day. And so I think making sure teachers have that permission that like, even when things get better, you're still going to have the occasional bad day and that's completely normal and okay. Absolutely. I think it's important to give yourself permission to feel the things you're feeling because they're real, but also maybe putting a time limit on I'm choosing to feel frustrated tonight, but starting tomorrow, I'm going to walk in fresh. That helps me. I still have really stressful days just in business at home as a mother of six. And I've just learned the power of giving myself permission to feel crummy sometimes because life isn't easy, but also putting like a time limit on it. Like I'm going to sit here and eat ice cream and feel sorry for myself for the next hour. And that's okay. I love that. I love the time limit. Like, I'm going to feel bad about this, but tomorrow, like tomorrow's a fresh day. That's that's so great. Okay, so I would love to talk kind of some practical because I know you said that you figured out ways to like simplify things and just like make things easy. And so I would love it if you could share some, you know, very specific tips for my audience. As you know, my audience is mostly upper elementary literacy teachers. And we love talking about ways to streamline and simplify, you know, teaching. And one of the things that I know upper elementary teachers love to put into place in their classroom is literacy centers. But I also know from firsthand experience and just from hearing from them, literacy centers is like really overwhelming. I think that's like one of those things that teachers are like, you know, they try it. They are constantly redoing their model and their system because it's a lot of materials to manage. It's a lot of groups to manage. It's a lot of, it's just a lot to manage. So I would love to know if you have any specific tips as far as how can teachers streamline literacy centers and simplify literacy centers in their classroom. I love this. I actually talk a lot about centers in chapter four, which 
is literally, it's that chapter I told you where I tried to stick everything in and the editors were like, okay, whoa, slow down, girl. Because there are so many things in the classroom that get really chaotic and stress you out. And I would say centers are one of them, even though centers for me, that's my favorite time of the day. But if you're not careful, it's just so much work to prep, to plan, to manage, to grade, to organize just the whole thing. And so, yeah, I shared some tips in the book. And I'd love to share some with you. So I think one really important tip is to make routines your very best friend. When I first started teaching, I felt like I needed every week to look different in my classroom so that my kids would be engaged. This is a myth that I was telling myself and it was causing me a lot of extra stress. So I was going to Pinterest every Sunday like, okay, here's what I'm teaching this week. Let me find a cool activity. And then the next week I was starting over. So every week I was introducing new activities to my students. And this meant I was wasting classroom time teaching how to do the activity. It also meant my students didn't really know how to be successful. And every week they were having to learn uh, how to do a different activity, which meant they couldn't focus on the skill I was teaching. So if I'm teaching compare and contrast strategies with fiction text, my kids aren't even thinking about that. They're like, wait, where did she say we put this? Did, did she say we do it this way or that way? And now they're not as successful with the literacy skill that you really wanted them to practice in their center rotations. And then it also means they're coming to you while you're trying to meet with small groups going, um, Ms. Sears, how do, how do we do this? Where do we put this? And they don't feel confident. So I learned the hard way after a year or so of just like constantly trying to put on a circus show every week that routines make my students happier and that they really can be engaged in center work without the centers changing every single week or even month. Activities can stay the same throughout the year while the skill switches out. And that helps all of our students to be just to be more successful, but it helps you as the teacher with the prep and the planning. And so I know you have your word of the week. And if that's a center rotation throughout the year, now as a teacher, you prepare this bundle one time. It's like batching the preparation of your literacy centers. Instead of taking time every single week to have to prepare, you schedule a chunk of time and you batch out the preparation of a resource like this and you use it over and over again so that your students learn the expectations early on and now they can focus throughout the year on the actual skills that you were really hoping that they would learn and master. So you think routines. First and foremost, super important part of your center time. I love that. And I, I mean, you were taking me back to like my first couple of years of teaching where I was like, my centers were just like on the hot mess express. Like I was doing the every week, like cutting things apart and putting them in, you know, like file folders and manila envelopes and then like, you know, not keeping them organized. And it's like we had game board pieces everywhere and students didn't know how to play the games and sorts. And I mean, all sorts of stuff, thinking that like these fun hands-on activities were going to keep my students engaged. But you're exactly right. It's like when we're constantly introducing new activities to our students and new games, like they're so focused on completing the task that they forget about the content, which is the most important part. I I love routines. I am always telling teachers like turn your entire instructional day into like one big routine. Like there's a routine for every part of your planning block, you know, morning work, reading, math, everything can become a routine. And you're right. It makes students and teachers' lives so much easier. So I love that, especially within the context of centers. Yeah. And once you have these routines, it saves you so much time in lesson planning. So 
I had a very specific routine for grammar and it was a weekly routine, meaning every Monday was the same. Every Tuesday was the same. Monday and Tuesday might not be exact, but every Monday, if you walked into my classroom during grammar, you would see me doing the exact same thing. Every Monday was a PowerPoint. Every Tuesday was an interactive notebook activity. So now I could go into my lesson plan template and literally add that to grammar for the year. And then each week I can just go in and write which skill we're doing. Are we doing irregular verbs or, you know, but I don't even have to waste brain power thinking about, yeah, what we're going to do each day. And it saves so much time, but it it also is saving you that, I mean, decision-making takes a lot of energy and now you don't have to keep making decisions. Once you make the decision once about the center activities you want to have, now you don't have to keep remaking the decision. You might throw something in special around a, a certain holiday. But your students will be able to adapt to that better because you haven't been changing the game every week. So every now and again, when you're like, hey, we're going to do something really cute with pumpkins this week, they can mold and amend to it because you haven't asked them to make these changes every single week. So that is huge. Routines are huge. And then something I did in my center rotations that seriously changed the game for me, and it might it might be something that would help some of your listeners, I, I had this impression that you should always have four groups all the time, every day. I don't know where that came from for me. I don't know. I just saw other teachers doing it. I don't know. No one really said like, you must have four groups. But in my head, you had four groups every day. You met with four groups. And that was really hard because I have this limited chunk of time. And the more groups I meet with each day, the more transition time there will be. Even if you teach your kids how to transition really well, which you should, there will still be time wasted where they have to put away materials, get out new materials, move around the classroom, get where they need to be for their next center or for the time with you at the table as a teacher. There was time wasted, but also just felt chaotic to me. I felt like I was barking orders at them like, okay, next center, go, go, go. And then when they sat down, I'm like, let's read, let's, let's close read, let's dive deep into this text. Oh, wait, time to switch centers. Like, how can we expect students to understand how to read and reread a text when modeling it to them in centers? We don't even have time to do that. And so this changed everything for me is I still had four groups because I had a larger class. So I had four groups. I divided my class into four groups based on skill, but he only met with two per day. This gave us a longer chunk of time to dive deep into text it gave students longer to actually complete center work versus just getting it out and then it was time to put it away. And it actually meant more minutes over the course of a week with each reader because there was less time wasted with transitions. And so I know it scares some teachers because they're like, but what about my low reader? What if I don't see them every single day? And I would say that my low readers really did well because they got more attention from me over the course of the week, even if it wasn't more attention every day, it was more attention over the course of the week, allowed us to deep dive into text and actually finish text because there's nothing worse than all, like starting something and then you have to restart it. Like, hey, does anyone remember what, what happened yesterday? And they don't remember. And, you're, and that's not an enjoyable way to read. And so this allowed my students to actually read an entire passage and talk about it, answer questions, have a good discussion before switching to the next rotation, which all of my students benefited from. And I found like, oh, I can breathe. This doesn't feel like a three-wing circus quite so much. Not that every day was perfect, but not quite so much. And so that little change in my classroom made me so much happier. 
I think that is such a good reminder because I was just thinking about this very same thing. We we tend to focus so much on quantity, I feel like, versus quality. And teachers have a checklist that they're trying to go through and I'm trying to meet with all my groups and the rotations and all of that. But it's sometimes we need to take a step back and think about is the quantity that we're putting out actually of high quality. And if you're having four small groups, but the quality of them is low, then reducing down to two is probably the right way to go. I just was putting together a podcast episode that was along the same lines of, you know, so often when it comes to like essay writing, we jump into essays and we want students to start producing essays before they're able to write a paragraph. And so it's like, we got to slow down and we got to think about, you know, rather than having them complete an essay because that's the assignment, like let's really focus on developing the quality of a paragraph. And just this idea of like in education, we need to be more focused on the quality of something versus the quantity. And I think the same is true with our small groups. Two high quality small groups is going to go so much further in the year than if you met with four groups that were rushed and you didn't get through everything. And I know the way that you were describing your classroom is definitely how I ran my small groups for a long time before I got to the point where I was like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? This isn't benefiting my students. It's not benefiting myself. Like slowing down is going to be so much better for my students. So I, I love that reminder. So important. Yeah, sometimes education, it feels like it's become like this race. Yeah. We're, we're racing to get the most done. And I don't know that at the age of 10, 11, like, are we going too fast? They can't keep up with us. And why we're racing it's really not a teacher fault by any means. We're racing because we feel the pressure from yes. society, from admin, even from the teacher next door to us who seems to be farther ahead. And so we're constantly feeling we have to race to keep up. Yeah, I love that reminder. So important. Okay, I love these suggestions that you shared as far as how teachers can simplify centers. And I know that your book is jam-packed filled with more ideas. I'm curious, and maybe this is the chapter, but what is the favorite chapter in your book? Is it chapter four that has all these practical suggestions, or is there another chapter that you're really excited about sharing with your audience? You know, chapter four was definitely my favorite chapter to write, and I feel like me and the classroom would have really loved chapter four. But what's so interesting to me as teachers are reading my book is that it's actually chapter one that they tell me over and over again is their favorite And I'm really excited about that. In chapter one, I really shared a personal story about when I decided to be a teacher and I stuck it on Facebook. It was many years ago. So I don't know if you remember, but it was like, Jamie is, and then you would fill in the blank. And so I wrote, Jamie is going back to school to be a teacher. And I was so excited. I was waiting for, you know, all my friends and family to say, way to go, Jamie, you know? And and there was plenty of that. But my cousin, who I was close to, I grew up with, she said, you can't be a good teacher and a good mom. You'll suck at one of them. Whoa. I mean, the thing is that I respected her and she was a teacher and I felt like maybe she knew something I didn't know. And so I was in my head having this battle, like, no, I'm going to show her I can, but also this sinking feeling of what if she's right. So I went into teaching feeling that like, what if I'm not a good teacher? What if I'm not a good mom? And in that first year, I can be real honest and say I wasn't being good at either of them. But here's the thing that I realized is that I was defining good teacher and honestly good mom, but that's a whole side story. I was defining (laughs) good teacher wrong. And over the course of the last decade working with so many teachers, I realized so many of us are defining good teacher wrong. And it's not our fault. Our definition of good teacher is coming from outside sources, like our administrators, like society, like the the parents in our classroom. A lot of teachers, they aren't saying it, but in their heads, they think being a good teacher, it's 
highest test scores. It's making sure I have this Pinteresty, or I guess now it's like TikTok worthy <laughs> classroom. You know, it's working more hours. It's the teacher who does the most is the best. And I didn't verbally say that, but I truly acted like it. I believed it in my brain. I thought I got to work 60 plus hours a week. I have to work on the weekend. I saw my mentor teachers doing it. So that meant that's what good teachers did. My entire definition of good teacher was based on things I didn't even really have a lot of control over, like student testing. I truly believe you can be a remarkable teacher and still have students who test below level. I mean, absolutely. They probably didn't come to you on level and those tests don't really gauge growth. They just gauge the current levels and and who, who got to decide those levels. So I was judging myself based on things that truly didn't make me a good teacher. It took so long for me to realize this, but there was this day where I decided, you know what? I freaking just want to be the teacher who helps students fall in love with learning. That's all I care about. I'm not going to overwhelm myself with all this testing nonsense. And I'm not going to work on weekends because I want to be a good mom. And so when I changed my definition and my definition became something like, I want to be an innovative teacher who helps students fall in love with learning while working only 40 hours per week. I literally put that in my definition. So my going home on time made me successful. It wasn't staying late that made me successful. It was going home. Like I got to check it off and go, wow, super successful. But also as I drove home each day, I could say, well, what's one thing I did today to help a student fall in love with learning? And that's easy. Every day you could come up with something, right? You helped a student find a book that they love. You got to watch a student have an aha moment over a skill that they were challenged by last week. Every day I could say, well, I was a good teacher today. Whereas my past definition, every day I went home thinking I'm not enough. This new definition, it was like the catalyst to come back every day and do it again because I felt good. I felt accomplished. And so my students got a better version of me the next day because I truly felt like I was making a difference and being that good teacher that my cousin talked about. I redefined my definition of good mom as well, because guess what? That was also a flawed definition that society had given me. And redefining what good means for your roles, it is life-changing. But once you have a good definition of success, you can now flip through my book, you can flip through TikTok or Facebook groups, and you can prioritize which things you actually want to do in your classroom or change in your classroom. Because you can ask yourself, would this get me closer to my definition of success? And even though it might look good on Instagram, sometimes you're going to say, no, it's beautiful on Instagram, but that wouldn't get me closer to working the number of hours I want to work or helping a student fall in love with learning. And so I'm going to push pause on that idea. Maybe, maybe I'll come back later, but right now I can push pause on it and it gives you permission to say no to things that won't bring you closer to your definition of success. Just hearing you talk about that, I can see how that would be your teacher's favorite book in the chapter. And I think that is so important. And I am so glad that you are giving teachers the tools and the ability to redefine what they view as being a successful teacher, because I think that right there is going to help teachers fall in love with teaching again. So that, yeah, I'm so excited that you wrote this book. I really can't wait to share it with my audience as well. Can you let my audience know where they can find you as well as where they can get a copy of your book if it sounds like something that would help them? Absolutely. The book's called How to Love Teaching Again, and you can get it anywhere that you buy 
your books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target.com. And you can find more information about me and the book at notsowimpyteacher.com. And we will definitely link to all of that in our show notes. So again, Jamie, congratulations on your book. What a huge accomplishment. And just hearing you talk about it, I know that this book is going to have a huge impact on education. So thank you for writing it for all of the teachers that we serve. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week. 